today and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Why don't you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 22. Ready for a slightly exaggerated uh, triathlon story this morning with reasonable amounts of truth but lots of revelation? Acts 20, starting at verse 22. The Apostle Paul is talking to the elders at Ephesus and uh, he, he says this, he says, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Why don't you all read with me this next bit? It's up on the screen if you don't have your Bible there. Starting from my only. My only aim is to finish the race. Come on, all with, all to, let's start again. Ready from my only aim. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Wow. You know, the, the, uh, the Noosa Triathlon this year became the biggest triathlon in the world with over 8,500 uh, participants in it. But for myself and another gentleman by the name of Dwayne Potter, there were only two competitors in this triathlon and uh, Dwayne kindly declared that if he beat me he was going to declare Monday a public holiday for all for himself basically I think and so anyway we, we get down there and set up our set up our gear very early in the morning around quarter to five and uh, but our start time's not till 9am looks like it's going to be a, a hot day so the la- the late start meant that uh we were going to be running in the heat of the day. But the running in the heat wasn't the thing that, that was uh, stirring or trembling in my uh, midsection. It was that wonderful 1,500-metre swim that I, uh, up until now, haven't survived without having some form of panic. And uh, so my good friend of 15 years, Dwayne, we were standing there looking at the water, and he encouraged me, and he said, Look, mate, gee, it looks a bit longer this year, I reckon. I reckon they... Looks a bit longer than usual. I reckon it's closer to two kilometres. And uh, he's a good fella. And uh, isn't it interesting that sometimes it's the people closest to you that cause you the most pain? And uh, you know what? Uh, you know, I heard that, that uh, you, know, you guys prayed for me in church that day. And uh, I hit the swim, no anxiety, just absolutely crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. You know, terrible time because I'm not a very good swimmer, but, you know, but my attitude was good and my, and my energy levels were good and there was no panic and I breathed well. I bilateral breathed the whole way and, and didn't stop. And I was, I was so encouraged by that because, you know, though people were speaking me down, the people were talking me down, they were declaring that it was, that wasn't possible. Dwayne was trying to get people to catch on video my panic attack this year uh, so that he could show you all probably 
Anyway, we got through the swim. The bike leg was great. I dismounted off the bike and uh, started the run. And about a kilometre into the run, I saw that bright Kermit green jersey of Dwayne up in front of me. And uh, you see, he'd left five minutes before me in the swim. He was in a different wave. And when I saw him off in the distance, I knew that I was already in front of him because of the time. And when I caught up behind him, I gave him a good punch in the kidneys, as you do. And once I got to him, my race was done. Did you know that I, I, I had a great swim? I had a great cycle and I had the very worst run I've ever had in the history of my triathlons. Why? Because one kilometre into the 10k run, my heart stepped out of the race because my race was done. The actual race wasn't done, but I was done. So I, I ran a time that, that, that didn't even compare to the times that I'd done before. See, sometimes in life, we get distracted by races that aren't the actual race that we've been called to live. You see, the, the, there's a race that we all, that we all step into. There's this, there's this eternal race that we get into. As soon as we accept Christ as our saviour, you know, we are now eternal. And, and the things, you know, even though this world will have trouble, Jesus says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But we keep getting distracted by the things of the world. We keep getting distracted by being in front of the person next to us instead of following the call of God to the race that he has called us to run. You notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. You see, we've all got tasks. We can create a race within the race. We can create, we can create a, you know, we can set goals in life. Have you ever set, set a goal to purchase something? I'm just going to get enough money. I'm going to work very hard until I can purchase that car, that house, that diamond ring, whatever it is. We put it out there. And then when we get there, then what are you going to do? Life keeps going. Life keeps going. Once you, get, once you get that thing that you've always wanted, what are you going to do? Once you get your miracle, once you get, you, you get free, once you get that, that, that miracle husband, that miracle wife, once you get that as amazing children, once you get the things that you've always desperately wanted, what are you going to do then? That's the question that we all have to face. Is There's the race that we live in life and then there's the race that Christ has given us. One of the great challenges as believers is the distraction from the main thing. You see, the story we tell ourselves about our lives can be more influential over our lives than the reality of our lives. You see, you can spend all of your time, all of your efforts getting to this one thing, this one amazing thing that you want, and then when you get it, once you've achieved it, then the remorse kicks in because you realise it wasn't, it wasn't an eternal goal. It didn't create an internal inheritance for your children's children. You achieved something, but now you actually have to come up with a whole new thing. If, you're, if your goal in life is simply to raise your children well, when the children leave and you become what they call the empty nesters, then you've got to rediscover a vision for your own life. 
One of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is to actually have a vision that is greater than them alone. A vision that is, that is led by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and it will include raising great children but it won't end there. Because when, when they leave, when they move on, when they start their own families, then you will want to be desperately involved in their families. And then you will cause them grief because you'll be trying to raise their children instead of letting them raise their children. Anyone doing that at the moment? Any of you grandparents? This is what I said to my mum when I left home. I said, mum, she's got a lot of advice, my mother, beautiful lady. I said to her, I said, mum, you know, when I was living under your rules, under your house, I was living under your rules. So you could inflict your rules upon me. Now that I've left living in your home, now your rules are still valuable. But if it's okay with you, I'll just ask you for them when I need them. How about we work down that track? <laughs> it's something that we all need to understand, don't we? Because we need to actually, we need to actually allow other people to live their lives. And if our race is about doing something for them, our race is about, is about just being in front of, you know, of them, then you've missed something. God has something deeper. He's got something bigger. You know, we, we don't need more people who, are, who are, are better off financially. We need more people who have a deeper relationship with the King of Kings. The story we tell ourselves about our lives needs to align with the story that God has called us to live out says in 2 Peter chapter 1, make your calling and election sure. You know, we need to shore up our vision with his vision. We need to shore up our story with his story. And when we do that, then we'll be running the right race. You ever bought a gym membership and then the story changed? The story you told yourself when you walked in and bought the membership, you know, that was a great story. You know what I mean? Flat stomach, you know, 16-inch biceps. I don't know, what's the go these days? Is that what we're up to, 16 inches? And then when you walked out, you went in that very first day. You know, you had a great exercise, you know, and then you woke up the two mornings or the next morning later in absolute agony and you never went back again. The story changed. Have you, you know, when you're in the shop, you know, and you're looking in the skinny mirrors and you put on the dress, you put on the, the skinny jeans and you go, how are you doing? You know what I mean? You see it. And then when you get home, the story changed, didn't it? When you, you know, when you go overseas to another culture, a friend of my, my brother-in-law went to the States and, um, and for, for a few months when, when we were all teenagers and he came back and he had every country CD you could, he could get his hands on. And he came back and he was so excited and he showed us all these country C- CDs and we shamed him. You know, I feel bad about it now because I don't mind a bit of country, but he, we shamed him for a year until those CDs, he never looked at them again. The story changed. You know, we do that, don't we? We do that in, in, in many aspects of our lives. We make commitments. We make this, this commitment to God and we say, Lord, you are my saviour. You are my Lord. You are my king. 
And then the story changes. Something goes down in our lives or we see something bad happen to someone we love and the story changes and we say, Lord, how could the Lord have done that? How could the Lord have allowed that to happen? We allow the story to change and when we allow the story to change, we serve the disruption and we run the race that we're not meant to be running. You know, I thought about making this year's Noosa Triathlon my last one. I thought, I've, I've done it a few times now. But now I actually have to go back and do it again and run it properly. I actually have to run the proper race. I actually have to go back there and do it properly because I won my race, which was to beat my friend, but I, I lost the race and ran my worst time ever. So you can win the story that you've told yourself and lose out in his story. Isn't it amazing how we just, you know, when, the, when I, know, I know when we're, when we're swim training in the morning, you know, Dwayne says, I don't have to be, um, I don't have to get out of the water quicker than you when the shark comes, I've just got to be in front of you. Yeah, sometimes we feel better when we're just in front of the next guy because it makes us feel good about the story we're living. But God says, Don't limit yourself to the comparison with your neighbour. He's saying, extend yourself to know that I created you with a purpose. And when I imagined you, when I created you in my image, what I imagined you became, and when I was imagining you, I was having a very good day. I imagined amazing things. I imagined amazing opportunities. I imagined amazing race for you to run. He says, run the race in a manner that you may win. You know, when people ask me about the triathlon, they ask me two questions. They say, where did you come in the race and what time did you run? You know, and both of those statistics I'm not overly excited about. Therefore, I have to change the story and say, you know, for me, it was about beating this guy. You know what I mean? We've been training together for all these years and it's a, it's a different, you know, I've got to shift other people's, I've got to now not only change my story, but I've got to change everyone else's story so they can now get excited about my story. We do that in, in our lives, don't we? We actually shift our story so that we feel better about ourselves and then we end up having to convince other people to come on to our new story so that, it, so that, we, you know, that we feel good about it. We get in the wrong race with the wrong enemy and end up doing the wrong training. See, the worst thing about being in the wrong race is that you're training for the wrong race. You're training for the wrong thing. When, you're, when your race is about, about getting to the next level in your business, getting to the next level in your purchases, getting to the next level in your health or your fitness, getting to the next level in your social status. When you're, when you're training for those things, you're not training for the great call of God on your life, which is to testify to his gospel, to his goodness, to his greatness. We focus our preparation on what we have deemed to be most valuable in our lives. We like the idea that God is the most important thing in our life, but when you look at what you're preparing for, when you look at how much you pray and read your word and study and and talk about him and invest in your plans into his things, then you know what you actually truly deem valuable. 
I have a 65 XP Ford Coupe in the shed at home. And it's in many pieces. And, uh, and I, I really enjoy working on it. Problem is, I've got an 82 model wife up in the house. <laughs> and, uh, and I've also now got a 2015 model Arabella rolling around the floor as well. She can only roll one way at the moment, so she rolls over to the wall and I have to turn it around so she can roll back again. <laughs> this year, I chose to leave the 65 model in the shed and just bring out the 82 model and the 2015 model and work on those two. Because there's different stories in your life, isn't there? There's different races. See, for me and, and Dwayne, we have a lot of fun about, about uh, uh, fighting, uh, fighting each other in the trial. It's, it's a great race. We have a lot of fun. But if it's only about that, we could be the two most unfit people in the whole triathlon, somehow survive it in five hours and still beat each other and feel good about ourselves. God's going, what you do when you choose a race outside of what I've called you is fine. It's great to be competitive and have fun and do these things. But he's saying, don't make that the main race. Choose goals, choose goals, choose plans, choose races that will make something of you in the process. And this is why God has put big things in front of you is because, not because he needs you to do them, because they will be good for you when you go and do them. And in the preparation, you will grow and you will stretch and you will become fit and healthy and you will expand your capacity and you will do great things in his name and he will be glorified and people will be saved. Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So what causes us to step into the wrong race? What causes us to step into a race that's not ours? What causes us to choose an enemy that's, that's, that's not actually our enemy? You know, we know the three, great, the three great challenges that we face in life are the world, the flesh, and the devil. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 says this, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from this world. And guess what? This world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. You see, when we fall in love with a style of life, we lose connection with the author of life. You see, a lot of us are striving for a life style a style of life, but God's going, the only life you need is one with the author of life. You know, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, that's what he's saying. He's saying, don't worry about lifestyle. Worry about the author of life. Get in relationship with me and I'll give you a lifestyle that you will enjoy, that will be satisfactory. 
You know, we cel- you, what are the lives that we celebrate? We celebrate the lives of people who have done hard things, who have done great things in the name of the Lord. We celebrate those things. We don't celebrate people who have had a great lifestyle, do we? We celebrate people who have done great things. God's called you to be in a great race in his name. See, the question you've got to answer, the question that I had to answer a few weeks ago is, what will you do when you win your race, but the race is still going? In that moment, you've got to reform a strategy to keep going. You've got to reform some energy, some inspiration, some passion, some desire to keep going. And if you don't do that, then you will miss out on the reward that the real race has for you. You know, we've all had buyer's remorse, haven't we? We've all put all of our... I think the main reason we have buyer's remorse is because before the purchase, we put the thing up on a pedestal too high and when we actually get it, it's not as great as we thought it was going to be. It's not as great as we thought it was going to be. People didn't love us more once we had the new haircut and the new, the new jeans. You know, the assumption is always that the grass is greener. But let me tell you, you've still got to mow the grass on the other side of the fence. So what are we going to say at the end of our race? I love what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.7 I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's what you want stamped on the old gravestone isn't it? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Here's here's the interesting word in that. The interesting word is the word the. I didn't fight a good fight. I didn't finish a race. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. You see, the key thing is, is for us to align ourselves with the good fight, with the race. Because anything outside of that, you know, imagine if your if you're gravestone said, he fought a good race. I mean, he fought a good fight. He ran a good race. And you go, and I wonder what race it was. No one wonders when you say he fought the good fight. They go, wow, this guy must have been a good guy. Yeah, this, yesterday I, I had the privilege of, of overseeing a funeral that um, Ian and Shirley Mungo um, um, put on my table this week and, uh, and uh, it was a privilege to do it for this mighty man who I never got to meet but I got to meet him yesterday through the people who loved him and his son got up and he said, you know, a while ago uh, I stopped shaking my dad's hand and I started hugging him. And uh, then not long ago, I, I started kissing him. And then a little, just a little time ago, I started telling him that I loved him. And he said, I just want to say something to all the sons out there in the, uh, in the service this morning. He says, hug your dad, kiss your dad, tell your dad that you love him. You will never regret it. You know, he discovered the right race in the relationship with his family. 
You see, one of the races that us sons struggle in is becoming a man. And we feel like to become a man, we've got to be this tough, isolated, independent guy who's separate from our father. And we tend to do that with our heavenly father too, don't we? we tend, men tend to struggle when we sing songs of adoration to the king. I want to challenge you this morning in the natural, in your, with your natural father and with your heavenly father. Find some affection and use it on them. Choose a race that blesses relationship with God and with people. Because we know the two great commandments. He says, love the Lord with all of the things and then love your neighbor as yourself. And let's start by loving our families. And then extending beyond those things. I was, I was blessed by that. And, uh, you know, 1 John 3, 8 says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You know, some, we think of the works of the devil as these great evils, but the works of the devil are great evils, but they, they are hidden in very small things. They're hidden in things like independent spirit. They're hidden in things like, like a, rebe- a rebellious against authority. They're hidden in things like, I can do it, and I'm going to do it my way, and I don't want help from anyone else. They're hidden in these things, the works of the enemy. And what does the Lord do? He's, you know, what, is, what did the Lord do when Judas came up to him? He kissed him and he called him friend. You know, we can overwhelm the works of the enemy with the love of God. Here's the crazy thing. The enemy uses tools like deception, like distraction and accusation. Sometimes these things are inflicted upon you. You're the recipient of them. And unfortunately, sometimes we are actually the deliverer of them. You know, when you think about the accusation of the the enemy, you think that it's coming only towards you. But a lot of times, you know, without realising it, we're not intentionally doing it. Well, we bring the accusation to the people that we love. And we get used. And do you know what? As soon as that happens, we've stopped fighting the good fight and we're fighting our our neighbour, the person that we love. He's saying, no, no, no. Your fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. Not our race, the race. I ran the race. You know, we read the verse for today, Acts 20, 24. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task that the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. We're not just hoping... We're not just hoping good things will happen. We're not just hoping that that the strategies of heaven will work out. We are living in faith. He says, "I I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. The faith required not for this moment, but the faith to endure. I love Paul. In spite of his difficulties, conflicts, his dangers, his temptations, he kept the faith all the way through with courage and resolution and perseverance. He kept it all the way to the end so that he could make a statement like he made in Timothy. I want to make that statement. You know, I was sitting having a cuppa with a friend of mine the other day and we saw, we saw someone walk past who, who we love and respect and was, was an amazing person in, in the house of God 
and still an amazing person. But life, it's got some rough edges and it's crumbling and the marriage is breaking up and different challenges have happened in these lives. And we started listing off a few people who we looked up to. And now their lives aren't reflecting what we looked up to. And we said, you know, the, ten- the temptation is to say, thank you, Lord, that we're not like them. I remember reading that somewhere. But the reality, but the revelation is in that moment is we are the same as them. And we need to make sure that every day we get up and we work out our salvation with fear and trembling and we say, Lord, this is your day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in that, not in anything that we have. Because when we lean on our own understanding, when we lean on our, on our, our wisdom, on our ideas, ideas and ideals, we get caught, don't we? We get caught fighting a fight that's not the fight. We fight a fight, but not the fight. We end up fighting against the church instead of being the church. We end up running a race that serves us alone, that beats our neighbor instead of loving our neighbor. No longer do we, do we, have, um, do we have the faith. We just have our hopes. We just live in hope alone. And we know that faith is the substance of hope. See, the world's desperately looking for hope. Why? Why do you think the world's looking for hope? Because they're simply running in the wrong race. They're running and some are winning and some are losing the race that they're running. And and no matter whether they win or lose, they're winning or losing a race that's not the proper race for them to run. So they're constantly looking for hope, looking for answers, looking to discover the next thing. Is it their health? Is it their success? Is it their social status? Is it their financial position? Is it how much influence they've got in their nation? Whatever it is, you know, it's not enough because there's only one hope. And we need to put our faith in that hope. The reason he says faith is the substance of hope, he's saying you, you, you have an eternal hope and you need to have a life of substance, which means making decisions based on that hope, not based on this hope. You know, when we're, fight, when we're fighting the wrong fight, when we're running the wrong race, we're shadow boxing. We're playing air guitar. We're using energy. We have moments of exhilaration. But it always ends and the hopelessness arrives. So where is he? People don't realise it. They're not looking for hope. They're looking for Jesus. And where's Jesus? Jesus is in you and he's in me. The hope of the world resides in you and I. The hope of the world resides in you and I. So the challenge for us to fight the good fight, to run the race, to keep the faith, the, way, the reason that we do that is because the hope resides in us and people see the hope in us when we're fighting the good fight. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and then let us run with endurance the race that is set before us you know we've got more things don't we than we've ever had 
in the history of mankind. But we're less satisfied than we've ever been. We get more food, but we're always hungry. We laugh more than we've ever laughed, but depression is at a peak in this nation. It's time to get realigned, church, because nothing can fulfill us when we're not in the good fight. Nothing can fulfill us when we're not running the race. Nothing can fulfill us when we're not keeping the faith. These are the things that fulfill us. You know, I see, I see and meet people every day who are struggling, believers and unbelievers. You know, the, 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 the greatest unfortunate thing is when a believer is not fighting the good fight because we're almost there. We've got eternal life, but we're not enjoying the good fight and running the race here on earth. You know, he doesn't put these things so that we're in, in our path. He doesn't put these challenges in our way so that, we will, so that we will not enjoy earth. He's saying, you will never be more fruitful. You will never be more satisfied. You will never be happier. You will never think you've got more things than when you're fighting my fight, my race, and keeping the faith in me. Why doesn't the band jump up? I want to give you two questions this morning for you to take away. You know, we, we said that second, in 2 second Peter chapter 1, he says, make your calling and your election sure. So I want to give you two questions to ask yourself. You know, when you're thinking about what you get up to each day, when you're thinking about your vision, you're thinking about the, the race that you're running, When you're interacting with people, ask yourself this question. Do they see Jesus in me? Simply that. Do they see Jesus in me? And the other question, when you're leading someone, when you're influencing someone, when you're discipling someone, the question is, can I see Jesus in them? Do they see Jesus in me? Can I see Jesus in them? This is the state of the church. When you look around the church, we say, can we see Jesus in each other? And then you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, can they see Jesus in me? And we're not always happy with that question. We're not always going to be happy with the answer to that question. But if we keep asking that question, if we keep making that the thing that we look at each and every day when we get out of bed in the morning, people will begin to see him in us more. And we will begin to see him more in the lives of those around us. You see, when you ask the people, if you ask of the people around you, can I see Jesus in them? It's simply a response to the first question. If you can't see Jesus in the people around you, then the answer to the first question you're probably not going to like either. Why don't you stand with me this morning? You know, it's a tough, it's a tough message to preach and to receive this one I think because we're all diligently working hard in life and sometimes it feels like you're saying look I feel like you're just telling me I'm not doing it good enough you know I need to work harder or do more things and and we need to constantly remind ourselves that it is not by our works not by our power nor by our might but by his spirit so we need to, instead of doing new things, instead of leaning harder and, and, and putting more of our back into it, we need to release more of our heart to Him 
and allow his spirit to lead us. So if you want to realign your life this morning, if you want to realign your life with the King of Kings, if you want, to be, if you, if you want people to talk about you at the end of your life, saying he fought the good fight, she ran the race. They kept the faith. If you want that to be about you, why don't you put your hand on your heart with me this morning and allow me to pray for you. The reason I ask you to put your hand on your heart is because it's a sign of agreement. And it's a sign that it's not about a head thing. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a heart decision where you're saying, Lord, the desire of my heart is to align my life with you. So, Father, for every heart that has a hand on it this morning, for every heart, Lord, that's saying this morning, Lord, I realign my desires to you. I realign my focus to you, Father. I give you the preparation of my heart this morning, Father. Father, as you've heard us give that back to you this morning, I ask right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you would impart a new measure of hope, a new measure of authority, a new measure of confidence, a new measure of wisdom on your people as they look at their lives, as they look at their families' lives, as they look at the church's lives, as they look at the community, Father. Lord, that they would know what it is to live according to your ways, Father. Lord, we don't want to... Have the lifestyle, Father. We want to know the author of life this morning. And we ask, Father, that you would, that you would, you would receive us afresh today. You know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you know, there's, in every meeting we know there's people who haven't aligned their life with Christ as their saviour. So this morning, if you haven't chosen Christ as your saviour, if you want to step into a new relationship, if you want to walk in this liberty that we're talking about this morning, if you want to, if you want to know eternal life, why don't you raise your hand this morning and allow us to pray with you? If that's you, if you want to choose Christ as your saviour, as king and lord of your life, why don't you raise your hand this morning? Just one more, one more glance. Thank you, Father. You know, in the prayer meeting this morning, I was reminded of creation where the Lord breathed life into us. He breathed the breath of life into us. And I want to encourage you this week to take deep breaths. To take deep breaths. You see, He doesn't want us to, He doesn't want to have a shallow church, He wants to have a deep church. And when you deep breathe, it's not going to make you more spiritual. But every time you breathe deeply this week, I want it to be a reminder that God is calling you to the deep things of Him. He's calling your heart to go deep so that not only, not only will you, you experience Him at a greater level, not only will you realign your life, but you will become a living stone in this house. And we're building living stones so that we can build up an, ev- a, a, an edifice. We can build up a building to house the presence of the living King. Stone upon stone. So, Father, I ask, Lord, that as we remind ourselves this week, that as we remind ourselves to to go deeper into you, into your things and into your ways, Father, that we would follow through and that you would meet us there, Lord. We declare ourselves to be in that psalm where deep cries out to deep. And we thank you for these things in the mighty name 
of Jesus.